What is good, my peoples? Welcome to another edition of the Green Beige Podcast. As always, that is AJ. He is the Green. I am Ken. I am the Beige. And we welcome you to another week, week 14 of the Green Beige Podcast. Of course, we do want to apologize for a little bit of a late start. But you know how it is with technology. Things can always go wrong at the most inopportune moments. AJ, Mm -hmm. what is going on, my brother? How's the things? I'm doing well. Doing well, sir. Um, Yeah. That's all I can say at this point. <laughs> all is well. All is well. Um, looking forward to this interesting World Cup. Uh, that's something we will get into a bit more later. But yeah, um, of course, of course. No, this this World Cup is really the gift that keeps on giving in it. Because as much as we have had lots of things to say about the tournament before it finally got started, you know, since it's gotten started, it has been quite exciting. Mm-hmm. Now, today we are talking cups and skin-ups, according to the, <laughs> the title of today's episode. The World Cup has set its final eight teams, and it was a wild and exciting ride to get to this point. The college football playoff is also set with Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and The Ohio State University contesting the right to be crowned college football champion. Aja, do you know what TCU stands for? Just a quick a quick aside do you know what tcu stands for texas christian university yes that is correct i had absolutely no idea until i, I, I only knew because I, I only knew that when i moved to texas honestly because we sell tcu gear where i work that's okay. the only reason i know <laughs> <laughs> understood but you know one of the things that makes me feel really good about the four teams in the playoff I mean, everybody by now should know that I'm not the biggest college football guy. But there's one thing that stays all the time in college football with Ken, and that is that he does not like Alabama. And the fact that there was no room for Alabama makes me feel very good. Now, also, we had that Coach Prime. He decided to make a move that has many in the Twitterverse and the media, and I guess wherever you go, pissed off. But first, before we get to all of that, we go off the rip with the NFL's Week 13, where mm-hmm. injuries popped up in more significant places than anyone would have hoped for. It is four down territory time, and AJ, you mm-hmm. know how we like to do it. We go first down with the biggest winner of the weekend, and who was that for you? <laughs> I was waiting. I was waiting patiently until last night's game finished so I could put these guys... Uh, Monday night's game, rather. So I could put these guys as the biggest winners. All right, has... so before you do, before you uh-huh. do that, then, be, uh-huh. because, because that is going to take me right into something that has been brewing for a while. I'll go first on this one, right? <laughs> so you can say what you have to say. And uh-huh. then, yeah. All right, so my biggest winner. My biggest winner for this week was actually, no, that's the wrong one I'm looking at. It was the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, the reason I gave the Philadelphia Eagles the biggest win of this weekend was that these Eagles remind me very much of that Leicester team that won the Premier League back in 2016. A team coming into the year that nobody had great expectations for. A head coach that nobody knew how good he was, but somehow Mm -hmm. has the team playing complimentary winning football. Players Mm -hmm. that were overlooked and undervalued both by onlookers and their former clubs, but put in championship-level performances. And a team that every week just continues to win and hangs around at the top of the division 
and dares to dream as it gets later in the year. The Eagles are 11-1 with the head-to-head -head tiebreaker of the Vikings by virtue of their dominating Week 2 win. They came up against who we consider to be a tough, buttoned-up unit in the Tennessee Titans, a team that is supposed to be a tough out for all opposing mm -hmm. offenses and an impossible-to-contain rushing attack that is buoyed by the guiding hand of Ryan Tannehill. Nothing went right for Tennessee on Sunday, and full credit for the Philadelphia Eagles to make them the Tennessee Titans look discombobulated. Jalen Hurts was immense yet again, when he connected on almost 75% of the passes with 380 yards and three touchdowns on the day. AJ Brown showed the Titans exactly what they let go with eight receptions for 119 yards and two touchdowns which may have contributed to the GM, John Robinson, getting the boot. The defense held Derrick Henry to 30 yards rushing and Tennessee as a team to 87 yards rushing and 209 yards of total offense on the day. The Eagles right now look the absolute strongest, most balanced team in the entire NFL. When you couple their win with a Giants and Commanders tight, they are hands down the biggest winners of this NFL weekend, regardless of what you are about to say. But Omar Clark, he, he comes in the comments and he says that the 49ers, 49ers were his biggest winner of the weekend. And I'm sure that there'll be a little bit more on the 49ers in the segments to come. So AJ, go ahead. <laughs> I think the Eagles are a solid pick, by the way. Let me say that. Um, I. I, the reason I would not have given them biggest is because I fully expected them to win that game. You know how I felt about the Titans coming into the season, and I feel like some of those concerns are now being realized at this crucial point in the season, right? Um, Omar, I think that's a solid pick as well, because, of course, we all know why. I expected them to win that after Jimmy G went down. But um, So let me get into my pick. And it was from the Monday night game. No. It's no surprise that one of the most discussed topics that we've engaged in since we've been doing this, Ken, is, is this divisional matchup, your divisional matchup of the, your Saints team against those Bucks, right? And I'm pretty sure we were both sitting watching that game on Monday night thinking that based on how the gameplay was going, that the Saints would see out the game, right? Because, well, they normally do take care of Tom Brady in the regular season since he has been in that division. It's been like the status quo. And it would have been a damning loss for the Bucks because your Saints were actually closing in on the, the top of that division. Like, there was a single game separating both teams, right? But the manner in which Tom was able to lead the team down the field and score on those last two drives, and mind you, this is despite Donovan Smith, who clearly is a new Eric Flowers, because this man, he, can, he can't block. All he can do is hold. This is the, he's, you know he's the most penalized player in the NFL this season? Come on, bro. As a left tackle? He has the most... He has received the most holding penalty oh. since he's been in the league. Smart, bro. I, you see, that I didn't even know. This, this man can't play the game? Anyhow, uh, that's, that's just a side note. But the manner in which um, the Bucks offense, led by Tom Brady, was able to drive on the field those last two drives. And even after that, that one touchdown from... Touchdown pass... To Godwin had to get called back because of that hold. They still were able to score after, um, despite that. That's, 
First of all, that's part of the reason I told you I do not think that Tom Brady is going off of a cliff. A quarterback who's falling off of a cliff cannot do that. And this is not the only time this season that he's led a comeback um, for fourth quarter win, right? There's a lot more stats to go behind what happened Monday night, but I'll, 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 let me wrap this up so you can get into your rant. <laughs> now, has Tom declined? Of course. I don't think anyone's denying that. There's no question about it. And, and by the way, all credit to the defense, the Bucks defense, because they came up big when they needed to in the clutch moments of that game, right? And the win may not mean much in terms of, of like actually winning the NFC. We know the Bucks are not going to be like the top seed in the NFC either, but I think it was a great win for them to, to get a little bit of momentum rolling. It, it, it could put a spark into the season, the remainder of the season, whatever's left of it. And obviously for Tom, it was something that, that was a mental, like a mental block for him. And this could be like a huge um, victory going forward. That's why I say they're the biggest winners. I, I see you chomping at the bit. Go ahead. Go ahead. So let me just move over here and just change this, this caption. From biggest winner to biggest loser, right? Because really and truly, if it were not for the feelings involved in this, the Indianapolis Colts would have been the biggest loser this weekend. And for you, it probably might be. But AJ, this week is the last week that I talk about these 2022 New Orleans Saints. The last week. My team is near and dear to my heart. And the one thing that they were able to do consistently, and right now the record still is in their favor, because mm-hmm. in the regular season at least, it's 4-2. and two. And both of the losses to the Buccaneers in the regular season at this season. But I said it last night on WhatsApp. I didn't express it as colorfully as I felt, and I won't do it here because you know we are a, a G-rated um, broadcast. We don't we don't do things that the children can't watch. But the Saints, the way the way how I feel about that team right now, I feel they need to be disbanded. I think we just need to tear it right down to the studs and come back up again so i have been lamenting all season long that my sense offense has not been good enough mm-hmm. that they they cannot put the points on the board that we need to put on the board so that we can actually win these games mm-hmm. when you look at <clears throat> the names on my team offensively you 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 start with michael thomas who missed all of last season with an ankle injury, was supposed to be good coming into this season, ended up on IR after like week two or week three, and now it's done for the year. Okay. You have Jarvis Landry, who still shows that he has, you know, he still has a bit of juice. And he has played well when he's on the field, but he's not been on the field often enough. You have Chris Olave, who is a rookie, and 
by far has been my best and most consistent receiver all season long. When Alvin Kamara was being rumored to go to the Buffalo Bills, I prayed to the Lord above and told him, do not let this happen. Please do not let this happen. Do not let my favorite player who is on my favorite team leave. But right now, if I were him, I would be walking up to Mickey Loomis's office and say, hey, when the season is over and you can trade me, trade me. I don't care where you send me. Just get me out of here. But of course, you know, he still has that, that case pending from the, the assault yeah. allegations in Vegas. Mm -hmm. So we have to wait and see how that one plays out. But if I was him, I would call the the district attorney in Vegas and say, hey, listen, let's get this show on the road because I'm mostly going to get suspended anyway. So how about I be suspended for the rest of this season? I can take my six games for the rest of this year so I can be ready to start wherever I am next season. AJ, I'm looking at Pete Carmichael, who is the offensive coordinator. Mm. Because you cannot tell me that if you are the offensive coordinator for the New Orleans Saints, and your best player on offense is Ave Kamara, that we can be talking about week 13, week 14, and Alvin Kamara has not been given the touches requisite of the feature piece in our offense. I'm watching that game last night and I'm seeing other running backs getting the ball, getting opportunities, going through holes that for some reason are not there when Kamara has the ball. When Kamara breaks out from the backfield and is open for a pass and the Dalton is not even looking his way. But this is the man that should be your feature piece in your offense. Yeah. And that comes down to Pete Carmichael, who is the offensive coordinator, who I don't know if you remember, but I remember, didn't necessarily even want to come back to New Orleans after it was announced that Sean Payton was leaving. We had I actually wait. didn't know that. We had to wait on this man to decide that he was coming back. So no, if we had to wait on you to come back, and this is what you have been able to do, well, sir, thank you for your service, but there's the door. You cannot be telling me that Taysom Hill is getting all of these opportunities when we have the running back equivalent of Debo Samuel. Mm. Why can't Alvin Kamara be placed out on the outside to give us some more production when our receivers are dropping down like flies? We are keeping him in the backfield. He's getting two and three yards to carry. We had, I think they said it was 240 some more yards over the last four games rushing. But our best piece is a running back and we can't utilize him at all. At all. And then Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill is outside of Kamara. He's our next best offensive weapon. And probably... He's the most versatile of the lot because he plays quarterback, he plays tight end, he plays wide receiver, he plays running back, he put returns, he, he does everything. But why why then is it that Taysom Hill is not given the opportunities to play at tight end though? Like, I watch the Saints every week because thankfully uh, DirecTV decided to give us a Sunday ticket again. 
Thank you very much. I'm able to watch every since every <laughs> since game, AJ. Every single one, every single game, even the ones we win. I am there looking at saying, but something is still wrong here. Why why is it that we are struggling in the ways that we are? I'm not talking about these things again. For my own sanity, for my own peace of mind, I am going to have to disconnect from this team in New Orleans for the rest of this year. Because the one thing that we should have been able to hang our hats on is that we have not been swept. We have beaten the Bucks two seasons in a row. And we had not been swept by them for a while. And we lead this game last night up until the fourth quarter. Because my offense, all of a sudden, we can't get 10 yards in two possessions. We give Brady back the ball after he's just marched down the field. And I'm like, all right, so we just need we just need a first down. Mm-hmm. Any first down. I don't care how you get it. Just get the down first down. And you couldn't get you can get one first down. You're giving rushes to somebody other than Alvin Kamara. And then because the offense the defense on the Buccaneers is selling out to stop him on the third down play, you're still trying to force the ball to him. Nobody else is open. You're gonna tell me that on second down, when we need the first down, that your best option is to go play action on a jumbo package when you don't have the wide receivers on the outside? Seriously, Pete Carmichael? That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing in 2022. No, Mm-mm. I the the one thing I need to see is that he is fired at the end of the season. Everybody else can stay, but he has to go. I'm sorry, but I I've, I've been ranting long enough. Who's who's your biggest loser, man? <laughs> I know that was cathartic, though. Um, I I understand where that comes from, you know. Uh we move on so you can get past it. My biggest loser of the week, I, I mean, I obviously knew that you were going to say the Saints, so I didn't want to be repetitive. Um, Ashley had a few options on. I wanted to say the Broncos, but who am I kidding? They're never the biggest losers. They're just losers. Yes. So I'd have to say that my biggest losers of the week are, would be the Miami Dolphins, right? Because I think that this was a really big opportunity, and they wasted it. Jimmy G went down very early in the game, and the Niners are no, because let's not forget, Jimmy G was actually their backup quarterback this season. Yep. So now they're down to their third string quarterback. And listen, we know how legit that Niners defense is. They have dogs on that defense, right? Them boys got dogs in them, right? But, and, and also, yeah, correct, Omar, we're on the same wavelength. And we also know how brilliant Shanahan is with, with his offensive mind and how he runs that offense, how he orchestrates it. But come on. Despite all these factors, Miami's not a dud of a team. That's the thing. It's not like they're, they're And these are the kinds of games that you need to be capitalizing on, especially in these sorts of situations. When you're playing against, with your franchise QB, playing against a third, uh, a third string QB, you can't be losing these games. No, granted, the Niners' defense is better than Miami's, but Miami doesn't have a bad defense, Ken. I, I don't think any of us would sit here and say Miami has a bad defense. So the, uh, the fact of the matter is that the offense just wasn't able to put up numbers. And granted, Jalen Waddle, if I remember correctly, went down rather early. I didn't see the game, but in terms of just following, because I know he left me with like zero points in fantasy or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, 
it, I don't. I still don't think that that was an excuse. And the name of the game right now for some uh, a team in in that in the Dolphins' position and that cluster of teams, the Dolphins, the Chiefs, the Bills, they're all trying to get that AFC top top spot to get home field advantage. This was a huge opportunity for the Dolphins that they wasted. That's why I think they're the, they're my biggest losers of this of week thirteen. Okay. No problem. I have something about the Dolphins uh, and the 49ers, but that's okay. going to come in a second. Um, so, least impressive. Who was your least impressive win this weekend? Well, I just mentioned the Broncos, so it has to be the Ravens. Let me, let me just be succinct here. Like, beating the Broncos after Lamar Jackson exits with an injury is, is not really inspiring much confidence because I still feel that at the end of the day, you should be beating the Broncos. He's my camp at that point, so... And 10 points was enough to do it, right? It was had to be the, like the dullest game of the weekend. The, 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 most, the, the concerning part about this is that we don't know how long Lamar is going to be out. I don't think there was a report saying that as yet. Um, but what Harbaugh has said is that he mm. doesn't, it, like they don't have a confirmed timeline. It is week to week. So the expectation is he's not playing next week. But okay. we'll see when he does come back. Okay, so I guess that is my main concern, how long he will actually be out. Because, as I previously mentioned as well, like, it's coming down to crunch time in the season. And this is a team that's supposed to be making a, a, a deep playoff slash Super Bowl run. And as, as well as Tyler Huntley has deputized in Lamar's absence, he and the guy that's going to lead them to the Super Bowl, though, or yeah, even yeah. In, on this deep run. So, uh, definitely that is the most concerning win. For me, the least impressive win was um, Cleveland's win over the Houston Texans in the Deshaun Watson Bowl. You know, Deshaun finally made his return from suspension. It was named starter for the homecoming dance in Houston. And while the Browns got the win, he didn't play a good game. He went 12 for 22 with 131 yards and a pick. You know, it's kind of like if you don't play football for over a year, maybe, you know, things tend to go a little bit awry. We could just look back at Mike Vick for that. Now, the Browns game, the Browns run game was just okay on the day. 174 yards and 38 carries. But the defense had to come to their rescue as the offense had zero touchdowns on the day, with Donovan Peoples-Jones the only offensive player to score a touchdown from a punt return. The Browns are all of contention for the postseason. But if you're paying a man $230 million fully guaranteed, you'd expect that he'd be better than this. Watson will hopefully be better going forward, and for Cleveland, I really hope he is. Otherwise, did we experiencing the same buyer's remorse that Denver, here at the Broncos again, <laughs> has of that massive contract that Russell Wilson has, and all the PR, PR hits that they have taken would be for nothing. All right, so now the biggest surprise. What was your biggest surprise on fourth down for this week of NFL action? Ah, uh, Sin City, man, the Raiders. Raiders, they're showing some signs of life. Um, you know that after the Bengals, who are currently on a four-game win streak, the Raiders are actually tied with the Bills for the second longest win streak, the current active win streak in the AFC. They both, both them and the Bills have won three in a row, which is more than, as I said, apart from the Bengals. That's actually pretty impressive, given where we thought the Raiders were like a month ago. Right? No, it's again, this doesn't mean much in the grand scheme. The Raiders are not a playoff team in this sense, but it was really good to see them put up that kind of fight. Um, we know what the Chargers are. You and I, 
he both waxed poetically about the Chargers last week. So I don't think it was – the win itself wasn't much of a surprise, but it, it, the surprise to me is, is how they're showing that they haven't given up on the season. Mentally, they're showing some fortitude, and I can respect that. Okay. Well, my biggest surprise of the weekend, head back to Santa Clara, California, where the 49ers flayed and filleted the Dolphins. Unfortunately, <laughs> I can't say that Jimmy G getting hurt was a surprise. But that he has a broken leg is an unfortunate circumstance. Shoutouts, though, go to Mr. Irrelevant of the 2022 NFL Draft, Mr. Brock Purdy, the last man pick of all hopefuls. Purdy, according to the reports, was supposedly good enough to be the Niners' backup since they were willing to let Jimmy go for the right price, which never came. Purdy comes in against the Miami D, and as you said, this is not just any poo-poo defense. This is actually a, a credible defense. Mm-hmm. He went for twenty. He went twenty-five of thirty-seven, two hundred and ten yards and two touchdowns with one interception. A solid first outing for a man who did not expect to make any, <laughs> any at all passes this season. All right, it is. So that takes us to the end of four down territory. And now we're moving over into the college ranks, and everybody knows that I'm not the, the biggest um, college person, but even I knew about this one. Dion Sanders, Coach Prime, announced he was leaving Jackson State University and coming to this state of that I'm in, Colorado, to be the new head coach of the CU Boulder Buffaloes, Colorado University Boulder. In his three years at Jackson State, Coach Prime amassed a 27-5 and record, completing the first unbeaten season in school history. There has been plenty of commentary about Dion's decision to leave the SWAC, the Southwestern Athletic Conference. So how do you see it? All right, this is a very... I think this is a very nuanced conversation, you know. And yeah, and let me start by saying that as as I've gotten older and as I've grown, I've realized that there are certain things that it let me put it this way, it's okay at certain times to not have an opinion on something. And Ken, that's kind of how I feel here now. I actually don't I, I'm I'm I am actually sitting on the fence when it comes to this situation because I feel like I understand both sides of the argument and and to me this is just kind of one of those things where both sides both both sides could be right both things can be right mm-hmm. i i get some of the not not spewing trying to spew hate or or cast aspersions on Deion sanders character or anything like that but i get some of the 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 annoyances or grievances that folks in especially in the sports media may have with how he approached the entire thing because obviously like when you're in a coaching job one of the things you have to do is like you know you have to sell sell that you have to sell what you're doing sell your project sell your vision for the future and and whatnot and even like a company's um vision is supposed to be like five years right supposed to be like within the next five years and that kind of he spent three so i i i do understand that there is a little reservation with how he handled it in terms of like he went over there and he basically like got some because he got like one of the 
that recruit what it is the hunter fella that was his name travis hunter mm-hmm. or something like yeah. that mm-hmm. like he was probably one of the most prominent names that that came over there and and we know it is because of what Deion sanders and his cast assembled were doing at at um jackson state university right mm-hmm. and then i mean as as things get in motion like he moves on to something else and obviously this is like a different area it's not this is not an hbcu so there's a little bit of trepidation there and all that i i get it the thing about it is at the same time i completely understand why he would want the reality is ken gsu was always going to be a stepping stone for him he always wanted to use that to to basically um belay himself into a a, a a higher coaching position right this was this was a step in JSU wanted to give him the opportunity and he took it because he didn't want to be anybody's assistant coach. He wanted to jump straight into coaching. So he had to start at the bottom and work his way up. So he's been looking forward to this and and getting into these spaces for a while. So I can't necessarily blame that either. This is, this is the man's, uh, this was his plan all along. Pretty sure we all knew that. And, and I, I don't, people shouldn't act now like, like, like they don't know like this is quote prime was trying to move his way up the ranks right so honestly it's just one of those things i'm i'm not outraged by the move i just kind of understand both and i'm i'm really just here in the middle i i don't have a full opinion on it i that's why i haven't been participating in many discussions on it because i've been i've just been thinking back and forth and i can't really come to a conclusion or say well you know what i feel that strongly about this uh, this is the one time I'm, I'm actually stumped. I'm just, I, I think I get it. I get both sides. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you, because I know you had a bit more to say about it in one of the chats. So I will let you go ahead. Okay, no problem. So Dion, the, one of the reasons why Dion is getting the flack that he's getting is because of the things that he said when he first went to Jackson State. And if he had not made comments with regards to, I guess, HBCUs in general, and he had just talked about him coaching and how he's looking forward to coaching, then maybe the outrage isn't then what it is right now. Now, when Dion first got to Justice State, he said, I didn't leave my 100 acres and a mule to come here for a paycheck. We're going to win, we're going to look good while we win, we're going to have a good time while we win, and we're going to do this professionally. I believe this is going to be a marriage made in heaven, and I cannot wait to get started. Apparently, this heaven-made marriage is only for three years. He didn't even do the, the, the seven years that we usually hear about when that's rumored when you know eyes start to wander and hearts start to flutter in other directions. Now, this is not necessarily uncommon talk from any head coach who goes into a new job, but because it was a high-profile former athlete going to an HBCU, and for those who are not quite aware of what an HBCU is, it's a historically black college and univer- college or university. This was heralded to be a game-changer for HBCUs. HBCUs are almost all underfunded and unable to attract the best coaches and athletes. Dion's presence, success, and money, because it's not a gift to say he didn't put some of his own money into this project, were all key for the HBCUs, but they thought that he'd be there forever, partly because of his own rhetoric, 
and they did not do everything they could to capitalize and now they're upset because while they didn't kill the goose laying the golden eggs the goose decided it wanted to go to another farm for the record i personally do not believe that dion did anything wrong he had a job he got a job offer and he moved from this job to another job in the u.s especially with so many at will states where basically you you are here because you want to be here and because the place that hired you wants you to be there too you don't need a reason to leave and just the increase in pay is enough reasons Dion said that he made this move from an HBCU to a PWI, which is a predominantly white institution, for his coaching staff, because they too would get raises. Sanders was not the savior of HBCUs, but most people treat him like he was Jesus. And I'm 100% behind him moving. And him coming to Colorado doesn't matter in my feelings on the situation. The fact still remains that Sanders had a job, he was always going to move from this job and all the institutional issues that HBCUs have are very valid. And they're very unfortunate that still in 2022, we can, we can still be battling against a lot of these racial issues because that's what it comes down to. There's a reason why there's a conference for the HBCUs and then there's the Power Five which has the PWIs, the formerly, or what was it? What was it called? It PWI. Predominantly white. Yes, the predominantly white institutions. And Boulder, I mean, is in Colorado, so do not be fooled. Boulder definitely earns its, its title as a PWI, as a city <laughs> and as a school. But at the same time, Dion coming over here, he's going to make his money. The school is going to hopefully be better he's going to have an opportunity to show that he's not just a name but he can actually do the coaching i'm all for it give him a chance to see what he can do some people said that he would rather go to one of the worst pwis because colorado went one and 11 this last season <laughs> rather than stay at the best hbcu that just went 12 and oh we only time will tell but i'm all for him moving and especially if he's looking out for his own because he's bringing his coaching staff with him. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Like I said, I, I completely get that side as well. I The reason why I empathize with the other side of the argument is because I, people, are, people have the free will to make whatever choice they make, especially if it is for the betterment of their self. Like, and, and, and in this sense, he was actually trying to take some people along with him. I could, I could very much respect that, right? I, I just don't like when people spit some BS rhetoric to try and sell you on something and then, or just like, just state your intentions. I, I, so I guess that is why I understand that side. It's, it's kind of like the same, the same concept of why I, I was angry with Van Persie after all these years. It wasn't because he went to Manchester United. It was because he was like, well, the little boy in me said to go to Manchester Like, bro, just, just shut up and, and make a transfer. Well, the little boy, I, I, that was really hurtful. It was hurtful, the Arsenal fans. We all knew you grew up as an Arsenal fan. Shut up. You know what? Let me not go down that line. Yes, but... please don't, because we will be here for the rest of the show talking about Judas, and I, I, don't really, I don't really want to get into that today. Right. So I was just using that reference to, 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 to compare, to say, I, I, 
so I get why there is that side of the discussion. But at the end of the day, like I said, I'm not going to, I, I do not hold it against Dion, but I understand certain elements of why there is a little outrage at it. And it shouldn't even be outrage, but it should just be a little, a slight annoyance rather. Yeah, I, so like I said at the beginning, if he did not say the things he said, yeah. when he first came talking about how like, he was going to save HBCU football and all that. Yeah, precisely. Then, then I I would be more on his side because yeah. I, the other side does have a, a reasonable ghost, but I'm never going to get upset with a man for trying to move himself up and you know, exactly. bring his others with him. Exactly. All right. So now, AJ, now to the real, the real reason why we're here. The and you are in your colors. I had to make sure I put mine on as well because I cannot allow you to represent. <laughs> and I not wear mine. <laughs> the World Cup is now in the, the well coming into its final stages. This has definitely been an exciting tournament, full of thrills every minute. So first, we're going to do a quick recap of the group stage. In Group A, because you know we had we've had quite a few matches between the last time we were here. Mm. In Group A, we had Holland topping the group and Senegal coming through in second. I mean, I I don't think that was too surprising. Qatar and who was the other team in that group? Qatar and Ecuador. Right. I don't think either yeah, of us had picked either of those two teams to progress. No. Ecuador gave a good showing in the tournament, but that is the way the cookie crumbled. Group B saw England top the group with seven points, while the USA were able to hang on by their fingernails to get the win they needed against Iran to qualify. Most importantly, making me right, and with Wales finishing bottom, AJ was wrong. In Group C, Argentina got the win they needed to top the group, while Mexico couldn't get the goal difference swing they needed to overtake Poland, bowing out of the tournament, and Poland qualified. In Group D, France fell on their last game to a surprise defeat to Tunisia. As I said, you'll never forget that night in Tunisia, AJ. But with Australia defeating the disappointing Denmark, well, Denmark too bowed out of the tournament. In Group E, the most excitement was found. As Japan came from behind to take down Spain, and for a brief moment, Spain and Germany were both going out of the tournament as Los Ticos of Costa Rica took the lead against the Germans, but they fought back and won the game 4-2, securing Spain's passage, but for the Germans it was purely consolation for them as they finished third in the group and are most likely back in Berlin by now. In Group F, Belgium crashed out after failing to get the win they needed against Croatia and finished third in a group that most would have expected them to win. And Morocco finished top after getting the final game win against Canada. Group G saw my Brazil finish top after winning their first two games, but a much changed side similar to what happened to France, fell in their last game to Cameroon, who could leave the tournament with their heads held high with Switzerland, who were able to secure a second spot by defeating Serbia. Group H saw Portugal also lose their final group game, but finished top with South Korea using that victory to get through in second place, with Uruguay's win over Ghana proving meaningless outside of the drama that follows these two teams in World Cup matches. So, AJ, what do you make of this, this, this group stage? Because a lot happened. 
a whole lot really. it was a lot it was a lot uh since you want to call out my team we lost to tunisia yeah but we made nine changes like we had already secured the top I'm... of the group I, I just I just said that as a passing aside, sir. I uh, I, because I also lost my last game after making eleven changes to my starting lineup. Yeah, so it's, it's it's what you it's what you do. So yeah, it's what um, you do. um, I mean, <laughs> you want to point out that I was wrong about the USA. <laughs> <laughs> I will also point out this mm -hmm. is that, and, and I feel very good about this one because I said that Morocco were my dark horse for this competition. Remember, you I did say so. You and you got that one wrong because you said it was Tunisia for you. But we can move past that one because there's a lot to discuss about this group, Sage. Um, and I did tell you in, in conversation outside of here that the USA actually impressed me. I, I was, the, it, was, it was not that I predicted Wales to go through because I trusted Wales. I just trusted Wales more than, more than the U.S., Mm -hmm. But to, to the U.S.'s credit, they, they fully deserved to go through in that group. Um, I, I, I really have a liking for the midfield, midfield pair of McKinney and Tyler Adams. I think they were, they were the workhorses of the team. They were the heart of that team throughout the entire competition because up front, these men can't create all score. And the defense is, yeah, wishy-washy. Matt Turner was actually really good too. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Um the that group e that ended up being boy wow and i know there are no teams left from that group but we'll get into that a bit further down um i, I you know what i honestly felt like I, after that group concluded i honestly felt like i i can't i couldn't say in good faith that the teams who went home deserve to go home it, it was it was very much kind of like an open group and and anything could have happened because I can't blame, or I can't say that, oh, Germany didn't deserve to go through because Japan beat them in the opening game. Because then I'd have to say, well, Spain don't deserve to go through because Japan beat them as well. But Spain went through. In, in Costa Rica's case, I think they put up a good showing outside of that 7-0, obviously. But then they, they bounced back to win the next game. And then they, they tried, but the, the inevitable happened. And Costa Rica just did not have the quality to keep up with the other teams in that group. So... They eventually um, exited the competition, but they still had three points. So the group ended up really close, and it, it was closer than I expected. Um, even with my dark horse pick, Monaco, I, I thought that they would go through second in that group. They won the group, and then have more to talk about Morocco, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, they, I, it, every, every, every single group had a surprise to me, honestly. Every single group had... well. I'm like, I think both you and I got Group A. We got mm -hmm. the Netherlands, Senegal. Um, you got another one. Yeah, I think that was the only group where I actually had both. We actually got both teams correctly. Yeah, that was the only one. So there were surpri some surprises for me. Um, that was the first stage of the weeding out. So <laughs> when we when we get into the round of sixteen, then we will. Then we'll 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 get a little bit more in depth, but um, it was it was a it was a fun group stage for the most part. Kind of enjoyed what I saw. Yeah, definitely. For me, the story of Group A was how hot Ecuador started, but I mean it did beat Qatar, so that was to be expected. Um, but Cody Gapo, 
for the Nuggets. Mm. He is looking like the real deal. So that was that was really good to see. I echo everything he said about the US. I have nothing more to add. Argentina played all of their group stage games either on a Saturday or in that before six o'clock window. So I didn't see <laughs> any of their games in group stage, to be honest. But the fact that they were able to come through after losing their first game, I I have to give them credit for that. I'm just, you know, it's either that they can get sent home next round or we can send them home. So whichever, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, so far, the French the French have been very impressive. My pick for Golden Boot with Kylian Mbappe is looking very good at this point. Yeah, you did say Mbappe, yeah. Yeah, he is, he is playing like someone who has a point to prove. So mm-hmm. great on him. Gubi, I am just glad that Germany gone home. I would have been glad that Spain, Spain had gone home too in, in a good stage. But when Germany, when Germany were struggling so badly in all of these games to, you know, get some sort of production to score the goals mm-hmm. that they needed, I was like, yes, I like this. I like how this is going. But of course, when the knockout stages begin, for the teams that are what they will consider favorites, then that's usually where the tournament starts. You do what you need to do to get through the group stage, and then you just decide that there's no time for us to go on a run. Which is probably what Belgium were hoping for, except that even within their own team, like Kevin De Bruyne, he said that he didn't think that they were favorites because they were too old, which then led Jan Vertonghen to say, but maybe it's our attack that's too old because you didn't really score any goals. So there was no there was no harmony, there was no cohesiveness in that Belgium locker room. They played out on the field. They struggled. They got beat. They got sent home. And I was just laughing because, I mean, if you... I didn't... I picked Belgium to to progress because of the names and the talent that they have on their roster. I thought that they would have been able to at least get out of the group. You know, I did say that I thought Thibaut Courtois was going to be the one to win the Golden Glove. Mm. That looked pretty stupid now because he is, he is back home in Brussels. Well, he may actually be in Madrid. Who knows? But he only let in two. He let in two goals. So it was only two. Yeah, it was only two. But the the only two, when you only score one goal in three games, that doesn't that doesn't really yeah. help. Yeah. So yeah, I thought Cameroon. I had Cameroon picked to come through with my Brazil, because I was I didn't really trust Switzerland. I didn't believe that Serbia were going to have enough to do it. Cameroon, mm-hmm. when they lost, I don't remember who they lost to. They lost their one. Their, they lost their very first game in the tournament, so they would have had to lose to Switzerland. Yes, they lost to Switzerland. Um, they they kind of let me down. I was hoping that they would have been able to get through the group, and I was like, well, if Brazil has to lose again, let them lose to Cameroon, so that Cameroon can come through as well. But mm-hmm. they needed a bigger goal swing than what they received. So they go home. And this is the group I got wrong altogether. Group H, Portugal, South Korea, they go through. I didn't expect Uruguay to go through because I didn't think they were going to score enough goals. They finished with a goal difference of zero. Having only scored two goals in the tournament, that is not going to get it done. So home they go. I thought Ghana was going to be better. They were not. So home they go as well. That was a group stage. It was it was exciting. It was fun. Oh, it was. Dale has now joined us. He says, I am in. Well, Dale, you have to watch this episode as soon as it's uploaded. 
because I started off being very complimentary to your Eagles. It's not my fault mm-hmm. you got here so late, sir. But it is there for everyone to see and hear. So AJ, that was the group stage. And now we we got to the round of 16, which feels like it went by in a blur. This started on Saturday. Yeah. Today is Tuesday and the games are done. We, it started with the Netherlands playing against the US. They beat the US three, game, three goals to one. Argentina, apparently they struggled a little bit more than they probably might have thought they may have against Australia. Two to one was the final. France beat Poland three to one. Poland did not show up in that game and France was very, very good. England took care of Senegal three to nothing. Japan, well, they beat Croatia. Sorry, they fell to Croatia on penalties three to one yesterday. Brazil came out hot and rampant 4-1. They won against South Korea. And then today we had Morocco defeating Spain 3-0 on penalties after going scoreless through 120 minutes. And then Portugal, well, they had the result of the tie, which was 6-1 over Switzerland. So AJ, what did you make of this round of 16? All right, so this was the separating the sheep from the goat, right? And to me, this is where the real tournament begins right now because these are the most intriguing matchups we will see. It, it, the reason why I said separating sheep from the goat in, in that round of 16 is because it felt like all of the teams who won deserve to win. I, I don't feel like it was that close. Even if you look, I mean, some scorelines certainly suggest that. Portugal, Brazil, um, I guess like England and France to a lesser extent, I'm just talking in terms of scoreline. So, like, they had the big wins. They were convincing all the way through. Granted, I obviously did watch France's game, and I felt like we gave Poland too much of a sniff. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it because it, <laughs> Poland, to me, were the worst team that got through to the round of 16, and I felt like we allowed, yes. them, we allowed them a little bit too much uh, freedom, and, and they actually looked like a, a good side. They're not. But anyhow... Um, even Argentina, Australia, the scoreline doesn't re- necessarily reflect. Australia weren't bad by any means, right? But mm-hmm. I, I, Argentina still just had that tad bit more quality, even if you want to name that quality Messi to be able to, to pull through. But there were other factors as well. Um, yeah, well, yeah, Netherlands, USA, I mean, that was always going to happen too. The. <laughs> So it, the team, like I said, the teams who won, they seem to win emphatically enough that you can say, you know what, they deserve these victories. The teams that won in regulation time. Then we had two that went to, they had, we had two that went to penalties. And mm-hmm. Ken, the penalty kicks that were taken in by the two losing teams, by Spain today, and then it was um, Spain, on, Spain on Tuesday and Japan on Monday, those were some of the worst penalty kicks I've ever seen taken, like in a, in a shootout. I'm not talking about just like individual kicks, but like in a shootout as a collective, as a team. Japan was terrible, and it prompted a, an entire discussion that I had with some friends about about like the 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 importance of actually practicing penalty kicks. No, no, granted, you cannot, you can't simulate a, like a World Cup situation, and there's a different kind of pressure that comes with that. I get that. And I'm not saying that the psychological element isn't more important, but you have to practice. And the Japanese looked like they did not practice taking penalty kicks. Granted, Spain looked like that today too, even though 
Enrique assured the press that he asked each one of his players to take a thousand penalty kicks. That that's total cap, though. We know that. You, you know, you know, anybody staying after training to take a thousand penalty kicks, big man. I'm talking foolishness, too. Anyhow, <laughs> but anyhow, the teams that got knocked out, like you know, how people will say like the penalty kicks is a lottery and all that kind. Of, nah, the teams that got knocked out by the penalty shootout, shootouts deserved to be eliminated. Spain couldn't score a goal in after it's like the men score all the goals against Costa Rica, okay? Yeah, they scored seven against Costa Rica. Fam, and then so, couldn't and, score one in and then only scored two goals two after in, that. in the following three games. Men couldn't in 120 minutes against Morocco. And this is no slight to Morocco, because again, Morocco were my dark horse. And this is not because I, I just felt like, well, yeah, they, they could attack. Now I thought they were a very good team. Spain couldn't score a goal in 120 minutes. They couldn't even convert a penalty mm-hmm. in a shootout. That's despicable. <laughs> That's despicable. In Japan's case, I, I, Japan just didn't show that kind of metal that was needed. Um, and the Croatians been here before. We know that they had two penalty kick um, shootout victories in the last World Cup on their run to the final. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, they had the experience. Granted, like, some of the bigger names were on the bench because, obviously, like, Luka Modric can't play 120 minutes and then go kick penalties, so he was off. They had taken off Brozovic because... I don't know if you know that. I think Brozovic has actually... I, I saw a stat that Brozovic has actually covered the most ground in the World Cup so far by any player. So this man is... Yeah, this man is running around a lot. So uh, it, after seeing that, it made sense as to why... He was pulled because he had to be gassed. At the end of the day, I, I, I'm, I'm not up in arms about any of the results. All of the teams that won, to me, deserve to win. I'm not of the notion that the team who plays the more attractive football is the team that deserves to win. It's the team who could put the ball into the back of the net. Some of these teams in the round of 16 did that emphatically. And then those who did so in the penalty kick situation showed enough metal and and mental fortitude to be able to do so so like i said this is where it really begins because these are the matchups these these ones are coming up here these are the matchups let me let you go before we get into that now yeah so i'll just be quick on this one where what you said i i fully endorse um portugal they were very very efficient for the most part, in, in the way that they performed today, in the scoring of the six goals, and Brazil understandably did not take their foot off the gas in that second half. Chances that we would have put eight or nine in South Korea because Brazil were that irresistible in that game. And their goalkeeper pulled off some very good saves. He had five excellent saves mm-hmm. where you can say, if you, if you have five excellent saves, after you've already shipped four, then you know that says a lot. Um, before I go any further, Dale says that the Portugal team surprised him today. It was not expecting this. I'm pretty sure many of us were not expecting that deal because when Portugal announced that Cristiano Ronaldo was going to be on the bench, nobody expected that their backup striker, because really and truly, no, he has to be the backup striker. Nobody is going to look. Uh, where is this Gonzalo Ramos to be the guy to come in and score a hat trick in any World Cup game because AJ just as an aside have you seen Gonzalo Ramos's stats 
Like, no, I have not. Able to do so far. So no, he not. has four goals in his four appearances for Portugal. But over his club career, he has the most appearances he's had so far is 29 appearances last season. He has mm-hmm. seven goals. This season, he has been more prolific. He has mm-hmm. 11, nine goals in 11 matches. Okay. Right? So that's, that's not too bad. Um, Champions League, he has six goals in 26 games. So he is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. He's, he's definitely. definitely not in the finished article. So I'm not here to poo-poo on the man and make him seem like if he's not a good player. He's very early in his career. But you're not expecting him to come out and score a hat-trick today. Yeah. So, so that was that was unexpected. But kudos to him. Hopefully, that means that as I, as I said in one of our WhatsApp chats, that Cristiano Ronaldo, when he runs off to Pierce Morgan to give his next interview, he <laughs> should also be taking his proctologist because he should be putting splinters out of his backside for the rest of this tournament. Because obviously Portugal do not need him to you know score goals and play good football. So hopefully. Well, we'll see how that one plays out down the road. But I wanted to I wanted really to talk about Morocco and Spain. You were absolutely right about Morocco. Morocco Morocco have looked very good. They have played some really good football. Mm-hmm. I have to applaud them based on what they've done so far. Yeah. They played against a Spain team that seems to go into every game with the intention to pass the ball one thousand times. Because <laughs> They, they just literally go there and knock the ball all around and they don't really take a lot of shots. You can't tell me that you really want to win a tournament if Alvaro Morata is basically your only striker. He's, he's not just the best striker. He's the only striker. Mm. You don't have anybody else on the bench other than Morata to come in and give you some minutes as an actual number nine. They they are trying to take this false nine thing to a whole nother extreme. So they go into this game today against a team that is going to come with the understanding that here Spain is going to want to have the ball, let them have it. They can knock the ball all around. They can do whatever they want. But these little short men that they have trying to say is a striker, not winning any headers between us. So they're not going to be able to play the balls down the flanks. We're going to force them to bring the ball to the center. We're going to call them, we're going to start them, we're going to make sure that they don't have any opportunities. And as the game went on, Morocco had some of the better opportunities to win the game. And then mm-hmm. we get to penalty kicks. And there is something to be said about this this um, this process or this belief that we can sub in penalty experts in the 118th minute to just come on to kick a penalty. Because England tried it, Last uh, Euros, it didn't work for them. So far in this World Cup, it's not worked for anybody else either. All of these players who've been subbed in to kick penalties have missed them. So maybe you need to either get the guys out earlier so that you know they actually have a rhythm and a feel for the game, feel for the ball and everything. Maybe you know take a couple of sighters, a few shots, and then let them go kick the penalties rather than you wait to the very last minute to put them on because clearly. If all you brought is they're treating the penalty kick takers like the kickers in the NFL, which is we, you know, break the glass in case of emergency, run you out there so that you can just go do your job. No, these guys are football players, so you have to let them actually play football, let them feel like if 
they have the um the backing like the support of their team of their teammates and and everyone this it doesn't work it does not work they're saying i i had a good um point on Murata. oh here we go and the spammer is here so let's <laughs> block you hot photos of my sister interesting yep block user on youtube why isn't it blocking come on all right so yes they are now blocked perfect um yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, was weird. so yeah very i, I mean I guess we're big enough no agent that we get spammers. Um, so yeah, but right now that was zero to sixteen. The teams mm-hmm. that to me the teams that deserve to go through based on the balance of play are the ones that have gone through. And now we get to the exciting stuff. We look ahead as we wrap things up today. We look to the quarters. This is the round of eight. And this is where things really get exciting. Now, for the first time since... We Wait, actually, started... before you do that, right? Because I, I wanted to, to say something quickly on, on the entire screen thing as well. Because I, I started to, to talk about it in the in one of our chats earlier, right? First of all, I Morata, Morata is a Ponzi scheme. It has to be. Morata is some kind of scheme because I don't understand. Like, this man just does not have the mental fortitude. As I mentioned this earlier... In, in I can't remember which segment, segment but Morata is not cut out for this level of football. I don't like to say that men can't play football because if you make it to the professional level, you made it for a reason. Yes. But not everyone deserves to be at the top level. Morata is one of those guys. Kendrick and I've been saying this for years. There's no way. There is no way. And, and he came on today, right? He did, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is no... And you know what? Maybe he was going to take last or whatnot, but I, I highly doubt that he was or he was fourth or fifth. Morato should have been one of the first penalty takers on Spain's team. But the boy doesn't take penalties because he can't. And that is a damning thing for a striker. Anyhow, with regards to the Spain team, part of me believes that this team is being built for the future, right? And, and I know like the conversation is that there was a lot of bias from Luis Enrique taking his young stars. The, the thing is, I don't think that Spain have done a good job in recent years of integrating young upcoming players with the old guard who were on their way out. They, they grind them boys' bones into dust, Ken. Mm-hmm. They, play, they, they play them boys till the wheels fall off, right? They try and get every single thing out of them, especially given the fact that they were the most dominant force in football for a, 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 a lengthy span, right? So they, they, were, they were running with that, and I think now is the time when they're trying to like rebuild that Spain squad, and, and they're doing it by incorporating, like building a young team together. Basically, obviously, you have some guys who are more experienced who will be scattered in and between the squad. But that's why I said in the group, I don't think that this side was ever really to be contenders for the World Cup. And yeah, you're not supposed to count anyone out or anything, but this team was always too young. It was always going to be they, 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 on, on the backs of all these young players. I don't like youth doesn't win you World Cups. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But anyway, so we can get into the previews and. Which game did you want to, or were you just generally going through it? Yeah, I was, well, I was going to read them all first. Yeah. Um, because, you know, right now, since the tournament started, this is our first day, this, well, this will be the first days that we don't actually have football on television to watch. Yeah. I think I'm going to be in withdrawal tomorrow, because 
I've been spoiled. I wake up in the morning and there is um, football on every single day. But before we yeah, get Jay. there, Dominic has a question for you. He said, um, really, Jay, the team you feared? No, I said, I, don't, don't take my words out of context. What I said is, <laughs> on, on Francis' side of the draw, the one team that I felt that had the chance, that, that I feared most out of everyone, and it's not that I actually feared them, one team, team that I feared the most was Spain because of the fact that I think that they had the type of philosophy that could um, basically dominate in terms of possession. And then if if they were like to be able to be a goal up on us, I, I thought that we would find it a bit harder to 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 penetrate and, and score against them. But at the same time, I did say I I don't think it's that we couldn't beat them. I just said said if I had to like list all the teams on that side of front of front on France's side of the draw. Like I was a bit more scared of Spain than I was of England. But I still that still doesn't mean that I thought Spain would win. That's that's all it is. Okay. No problem. How to give you an opportunity to respond to the to the question in the chat. Yeah, so don't, don't be an looking, Yeah. <laughs> so looking <laughs> ahead, I am going to be only able to watch half of these quarterfinals because two are on Friday and two are on Saturday. Thankfully, the two that I'm going to be most interested in because they're on my side of the bracket mm. are both on Friday. So Brazil actually has the early game. Both of the, the two games that are the early games, I guess you could consider to be the more lopsided of the four ties. But when we look at the four ties, they are pretty even. <laughs> they, these are going to be some really, really good games of football so dominic says that spain lack a killer instinct and that has been evident for quite some time of course when they when like i said they go trying to pass the ball one thousand times a game then you really can't be trying to score goals because apparently they, they started to think that you get goals or you get points by passes as opposed to actually taking shots and scoring so yeah so it just so croatia brazil on Friday morning, and then Netherlands, Argentina on a Friday midday, my time. Um, for those of you guys in the Caribbean, that will be, yeah, morning and afternoon. And then on Saturday, we have Morocco, Portugal in the morning, and then England and France, your boys, will be the ones to bring the quarterfinals to a close. So, obviously, I'm looking forward most to my game. You're looking forward most to your game. So, in totality, we <laughs> look at these quarterfinals. I mean, this probably would have worked better if you had been home, not if I would have been home. So, when we look at this situation um, in totality, what what are your feelings for this for these um, quarterfinals? Um. Well, the only the only fixture that to me is not that intriguing is actually yours because i don't see how croatia stand a chance against brazil i i, I think all the others are a bit more evenly matched granted i i if i remember correctly i think i said morocco would go to the quarterfinals so they've kind of capped out for me uh, i think they've done their duty as my dark horse so if they were eliminated from here i don't i i i, I wouldn't be upset 
And I do think that Portugal have Portugal can be more clinical and more decisive. So I, I, I do expect that Portugal can see this out. The other two matchups are the, the more interesting ones because Netherlands have been a bit up and down. Um they, obviously they've won their games, but in, in the fashion that they have in some, it, it kind of has been labored towards victory. And you can see the same for Argentina, even more so for Argentina. So and obviously there's a there's a historical element to that matchup. Like will Argentina finally be able to win? this coveted World Cup with Messi or is it like the Netherlands will the Netherlands finally overcome their demons and go all the way so there's that for that that's that is the matchup I'm more intrigued in seeing on that day and then on obviously like you said it, it is the England France because to me on paper that is the the most even and most intriguing matchup and I there's no way I could I could view that um objectively so I I you, you, you know what my pick is going to be. Of course, of course. <laughs> no, my thing is, I, when I look at, like, all right, so let me work backwards. Because mm -hmm. my game is first. So England, <clears throat> England, France, I do not fear the English. If I was Paul Revere, I would have been in my bed sleeping. Because <laughs> I would not be able to write and tell anybody that the English are coming. I'm sorry. So I don't, I don't fear the English. I... I'm definitely more concerned about your squad because of the presence of Kylian Mbappe. So I would expect that your team is going to win that game. Not necessarily in a blow, hmm. but I expect a win in that game. Then when we have Morocco playing Portugal, Morocco, can they do it again? I don't think they can do it again. So I believe that Portugal comes through in that game not necessarily easily, but they're going to win it anyway. Netherlands, Argentina, that is probably, outside of my own game, that's the one that I'm most interested to see. Because, I will not lie to you, I'm going to find an orange shirt and put on that day. Because, <laughs> it is not that I fear the Argentines. I just want them home as soon as possible. Now, if the, the Dutch team is unable to do that, then we will take care of business in the semis. Because what happened in the Copa final, anyone can look and see for the entirety of Messi's tenure with the Argentine national team. That is the anomaly. That is not what happens all the time. So I'm backing my Brazil team easily right now, all the way to the final. I believe that we have the quality that we should be able to lift this trophy come I don't even know what date. I'll, I'll figure out the date when that date comes. I think it's the 18th or what? I think it's the 18th. Yes, Sunday, December 18th. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I'm I'm confident that, that Brazil will have what it takes to get all the way to the final. But only time will tell. Only time will tell. But I am not allowing time to damper my enthusiasm because when I, what I saw... In the group stage, I'm not like, what I saw in the group stage was a little bit concerning because I think that Chichi still has some things that he needs to address where the team and its balance are concerned. Some of the players that he's picking, to me, could really hold the bench. But then when we see some of the backups now, they haven't been filling us with confidence. Like, we've been clamoring for 
Bruno Gimaraes to get game time in place of Paquita. And then he played this game in place of Paquita, and he was abysmal. He was mm-hmm. one of the reasons why we couldn't get anything going properly against Cameroon. Mm. Gabriel Martinelli has been very good when he's been on, but unfortunately for him, he is being played in the same side, on the same spot as Vinicius Jr. And Vinicius is going to start regardless. So unless mm. Chichi gives uh, Martinelli a spot on the right wing, then we would never see what he's able to do on that side because for some reason we never switch flanks. We how we line up is how we play. So I would like to see somebody else playing in place of Rafinha, but Anthony has not he has not done very well in this tournament, so not him. I would rather get Martinelli on the right. Unfortunately with Gabriel Jesus getting injured now, we are left with Richardson. But to his credit, he has been he has been very, very good in this tournament. I hope that he is as good as he has been all the way to the 18th of December and then he goes back to being the pigeon that we know he has been all along at Spurs. Overall, I am happy. I'm happy with what we what we showed in that game against um, South Korea because we came out on the front foot. We were attacking. We were, we were vibrant. We were irresistible. Neymar is back. I would like him to release the ball off his foot a little faster sometimes, but that has always been the story with Neymar. So it is, by this time, no, it is what it is. But I'll give you an opportunity to, to mention your French. We'll talk about your French team before mm-hmm. we wrap this up tonight. Yeah, I'm kind of like you. I have I have a few concerns when it comes to Deschamps and his tactical setup. And these are concerns I've voiced for a few years now. Um, he, he does he does tamper with the squad a little bit, like, you know, like trying to find new ways to incorporate certain players and whatnot. So I could respect that. I just am not always convinced that he makes the right decisions. I think he, he tampers with the team a bit too much. I don't know that I would have made nine changes to that team for the final group stage game. But I guess in, in that vein, he was trying to give... Um, trying to give some guys playing time and I was actually discussing this with Dom earlier. I guess it was kind of like an audition as well. You know, try and see who would who could step up possibly to get a bit more game time in this in this knockout round. Um what I'm honestly some of our players need to step up. We've been riding off of the back of Mbappe for every game so that he's played so far. The one I mean the, the the loss to Tunisia, I'm not even counting that because it was a bunch of nine nine players who aren't regular starters who have don't have the chemistry of having played together. So I'm not too concerned with that. In just the other games, though, even against Poland, like I said, I think we afforded Poland too much opportunity, and and that is a worrying sign. Um, I'm I'm interested to see how. How oh, Deschamps set a team up against England because I it seems now that England are going to go with that midfield trio because um, what's his name Southgate tried it in the last game it worked very well all three of them boys are really good in midfield so in in terms of having like that numerical advantage in the middle of the park he most likely will do that against us once again because you know we play with with uh, the central attacking mid or central striker in Griezmann 
granted he has more of a free role so he's usually like roaming about but um i'm pretty sure that England will go with that midfield trio and then a front three again so i'm i'm kind of interested because this is something else that norm and i were discussing earlier as well i was I'm just interested in seeing if, if we continue with what we've been doing thus far in the competition or if Deschamps himself goes with a midfield trio. Because I don't think that he trusts many players outside of that starting eleven, and then maybe like mm-hmm. two or three off the bench. And I feel like I've mentioned this in one of our chats as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are very limited names that can come off the bench and make an impact. And I feel like those are the guys he trusts. If, if we had to play to start a midfield trio though, I feel like it. I believe it. It would be Gwendozi that he trusts most, and I hope that it would be, because I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Vertu. I, I think he's decent, but in, in, in terms of like having that third body in midfield, I, I think Gwendozi is the, is the better complement, um, based on what we have. But at the same time, I don't know that I would drop Griezmann because he, he has become like. He has become like the, the elder statesman in the team, especially mm-hmm. given like the injuries that we had. So, um, I, I still would go with him, but again, it 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 is down to Deschamps and and his tactics. And if, if he goes to Griezmann, I, I I can't fault him. If he goes to the midfield trio, I'd I, I kind of just hope that it works. Uh, but at the same time, he needs to he needs to 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 be more open to make changes early and not stick with something that isn't working for too long because. England has enough quality to be able to like dominate us in possession, right? Especially with the way they've been playing in the last few games. So we we also do have their kryptonite, I believe, because we're really good counter-attacking. We are really good counter-attacking. So that could go either way, but can we, we we need to step up. We need to step up. And and you know I've I've as the tournament is going on and my team is progressing further and further, I'm saying that I want us to win. But before it started in earnest, I didn't even have us to win. So it's a heart versus head thing here, right? But you know how that goes. You know how that goes. But I, I just want to see a better overall team performance and not like us just getting the ball to Mbappe Minion and trying to get him to do his thing. I, we, some more guys. And I don't think everyone else has been bad. We have been decent as a team, but the the talent that we have on that team, those guys are capable of doing more individually, honestly. Okay. And this is the time. This is the time. And just one more. This is, you know, this man name always coming up in that particular chat. But you see Dembele? This is when Dembele needs to have the game of his life for France. It's this game. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I think that that is a good spot that we can we can land this week's episode for the Great British Podcast. The good thing is that it's just one round of football before we are back. Mm-hmm. And then we can actually pay close attention to what's happening in the NFL on Sunday because there's no football games called preting. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so... Unfortunately, I know we have mentioned the Green Bay Bracket Challenge for the World Cup. I did not anticipate how quickly these games were coming. So by the time the stage was set, I had no time to pull everything together. So I apologize for that. We will um, keep everything um, rolling for the Playoff Challenge, the NFL Playoff Challenge, which we always have more time. 
<laughs> I obviously have more time to get that pulled together, so we will be we will resume our bracketing at that point. Um, so we will continue to make our picks here weekly as the games progress because they like said the quarters go this week, the semis will be next next week, Tuesday and Wednesday. So when we meet, we will know at least one of the identity well the identity of one team in the final and we'll be able to figure out who the next team will be on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And then well, we just keep it going as we always do. So for all of you in the chat with us tonight, as always, we thank you for your input, your questions. We always love engaging with you. We are going to sign off for tonight. And as always, that is AJ. He is the green. I am Ken. I am the beige. And we will see you next time.